You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 25. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey guys, so we have a unique topic for you today. Today we're talking to Frenchie Davis, and Frenchie works with the Incarnation Institute of Sex and Faith, helping religious organizations to foster sex positivity. And we're going to be talking to Frenchie about religion, faith, and sex. So we're going to be talking about things like the differences between religion and spirituality, things people get wrong about what the Bible has to say about sex, some of the consequences of the sex negativity that a lot of religions have, especially Western religions and especially around women's sexuality. And we're also going to be talking about some of the work that Frenchie and the IISF are doing to change some of that. So not a topic I expected to be talking about, but Frenchie is super knowledgeable on the subject. Her take is super interesting and she's hilarious to boot. If you like the episode, make sure to subscribe and let's get started. All right. So today we're talking to Frenchie Davis. Frenchie is an authority on human sexuality with a focus on the African-American community. Frenchie combines her love and expertise of social services, education, and pop culture to entertain, educate, and enhance the emotional and sexological intelligence of her audience is. Frenchie has her Master's of Education in Human Sexuality and 20 years of facilitation and presentation. She works both nationally and internationally through workshops, lectures, blogging, and TV appearances, and shares her platform on her cutting-edge sexuality talk show, Libido Talk, on WBAI 99.5 FM of New York City. Frenchie is also a board member for the Incarnation Institute of Sex and Faith and collaborates with several other organizations. Frenchie, if you want to fill in anything that you think we meant. Um, I just love sex. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll start there. Well, so today, so this is, this is, uh, I find this a really interesting topic. We're talking about uh, sex and religion, and, and you've got to just start off with telling us how you even like wound up on this topic in the first place. That's a, that's a pretty interesting, uh, that's a pretty interesting intersection of places to wind up uh, talking. Well, first, I, I grew up in the black church, and the black church uh, has a culture all to itself when it comes to faith and sexuality. And uh, as I got older, like my, my mother was not a very religious person. She was like, okay, let's go to some churches and you pick out your church and that's where you'll be. And I went to some churches and I loved my great grandmother's church and my great grandfather's church. And those were churches that I came up in. As I got older, however, I noticed and I visited other churches, they were very different. Uh, I felt like there was such an emphasis on money. I thought that that was interesting. Uh, I was changing as a woman and I had a lot of questions about my own identity as a sexual person and, and that type of thing. And around the black church, there's a huge culture around respectability politics and what's respectable and how you should dress and how big your hat should be and how big your butt should be and how you walk and how you present yourself around the deacon and the priest and the pastor and all of these different dynamics. And so I was like, you know, I didn't feel like this was the place for me. So as my studies have taken me around the world and I've been able to study Buddhism and Ifa. Ifa is one of the first religions of the world that originated in Nigeria. And I also got to study Santeria, which is an extension of Ifa. I studied that in Cuba. And in, when you look at some of these 
faith-based ideologies, uh, they're very, they have like an erotic undertone. Uh, the gods and goddesses often are exposed and they don't have on clothes or they're sitting in a very provocative position. Um, the sexuality is celebrated. The body is celebrated. And I didn't find that in the churches that I was attending when I was younger and as I got older. And so right then I knew, I, I kind of said, you know, I really needed to evaluate this and decide, you know, where I wanted to be in, in the spiritual path. And then I had to define what is, what is the difference between religion and spirituality. Because a lot of people say, well, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. But they can never really quantify or say what that means. And so my working definition is religion is the study of somebody else's path. And they are like Christianity. They are studying Jesus' path and the apostles' path. Spirituality is the celebration of your own path. And so uh, it may not necessarily align with anybody else. It is your own spiritual path and how you choose to pray, how you choose to meditate if you so choose to do so. And so uh, I liked that I could individualize my own faith. And, and with that, that I could celebrate the sexual being that I am. I could celebrate the 5,000 nerve endings in my clitoris and that God made. And I, I thank her all the time. And I'm like, girl, you so fabulous. I'm like, woo. And I could call God she and I can call God they and I could call God he. And it could be all of those things. And I loved it. And so going through my graduate studies, I came across, uh, I, I took a religion and sex class by Dr. Reverend Stanton, and he has a PhD in human sexuality and a PhD in theology. And he was amazing. And I was like, wow. And so I began to study more about religions and the history of religions. And so a lot of people study the Bible, but they don't study the history behind it. And so I totally became just in awe and enthralled in studying sex and faith and the history of the faiths as we understand them today and, and how we can understand them from a historical context. And then I became a board member of an organization that addresses the sexual repression that is often found in religions like Christianity. And so now I'm just, I'm planted in both of these worlds uh, as, as a non-Christian, as a spiritual person, and as a sexual person, and I love it all. I've, I've got so many questions I want to so many for this whole thing. I, I, I've got to start. So, um, so you, you said you grew up up in, you know, in the black church. I assume you're, you're, you know, some talking some form of like Christian denomination. Mm -hmm. Correct. It was Baptist. Correct. But there's Baptist, there's Kojic, there's sanctified. Uh, there, like, there are, there are even branches within that, which can confuse the hell a lot of people. But so do you still, um, so I'm, I'm really curious after, in addition to the 20 million other questions that I'm sure we want to ask you, you know, after all this exploration and, and confronting things about sex and investigating other religions, do you still identify with like a particular religious view? I do not, but I would say that I'm omni-spiritual. I would say that I'm someone that likes to absorb different traditions from all of the concepts of these faiths. And um, because I enjoy the rituals of a lot of these faiths, I probably uh, like to subscribe a little more to between Ifa and, and Buddhism for me, just because, again, they have like a richness of sexuality and erotic undertones in in these faith-based ideologies and that's who I am. I've always known myself even as a child to be a very sexual being and 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 to wrestle with that. 
So seeing naked goddesses and gods, just like excited, it's like yes, that's me. Uh huh. We're 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 there. We're aligned. Uh, seeing women goddesses that aligns with my spirit and my soul. So yeah, that's where I tend to kind of float with. Okay, because yeah, when you were saying, you know, you were talking about the guy who was a reverend and also had a a, a doctorate in um, in human sexuality, I was like, man, if he's if he's any kind of a traditionalist, some of the contradictions must just make his head explode trying to square between the two. Well, actually, I mean, and I think in in modern day Christianity, how it's taught, there would be. A, a, a wrestling with this that that you kind of have to choose one or the other. But what was so amazing about Dr. Stanton with a PhD in human sexuality and a PhD in theology is when you start learning about the original Hebrew language. So we started with Hebrew and then it went to Greek before uh, and then there were five more translations after the original Hebrew and the Greek Bibles. There were five more translations. And then from there, you started as as the as the world started to shift and this religion and this faith started to grow through like St. Augustine and through the Puritans and the Romans. And so now you're talking about new translations. So we have to consider today we're talking about a Bible that's 90 translations from the original text. And if we remember that the Bible is a collection of books, so we don't even have all the books. There are many books that are not included in the modern day Bible. Right. There was, you know, there's, there's been a constant back and forth over the years. Uh, you know, what's included, what's not included, especially in the modern Bible that we're working with. Which I guess, you know, part of the problem is that each church, each pastor kind of interprets the Bible, even what we have today, in their own way and sort of puts it out to their church with their sort of views and everything. So I think that that can even like dilute it more in a way that what, you know, 90 translations plus all the different translations that each person does along the way can can definitely make it quite a bit different than where it started. But at this point, there are a lot of sort of standard ideas that whether they are actually in, you know, the quote unquote Bible or or whatever, are sort of what churches take as being the correct way. So would you have any sort of guidance for someone who goes to a a church that is a, a Christian faith or a Catholic faith, and basically that faith is telling you what you do as a sexual being, or if you're LGBTQ, or if you're kinky, that you're bad. How do you handle that? Uh, so one, as, as a board member of the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith, we try to reach out to a lot of churches that may be open to sex positive faith-based approaches. So uh, there are organizations throughout many cities, uh, organizations who like to support, do HIV advocacy and things like that. So you will find some churches that, like in DC, that are far more embracive and they're non-denominational and they say that everyone is welcome. So you can start with a church like that. This may require that if you're not feeling quite aligned, if your church makes you feel somehow embarrassed, ashamed, uncomfortable about who you are, then it's time to evaluate if that's actually the space for you. And if it's not, you know, appreciate the fact that that's totally okay. And, and so you, you, you know, may have to go on a new journey and be excited about, uh, that type of journey that's going to take you into a spiritual place that is affirming to who you are. Because when, when churches aren't affirming to who we are as, as individuals, as God has created us, you know, we should be wrestling with that. Yeah. So Cassie was talking about, you know, you, you were just talking about if 
doesn't make you feel, you know, welcomed or appreciative or, you know, or, or is making you feel out of line with, with. And you had talked earlier about how, you know, part of what, uh, you look into what you were, you know, the, the repression that comes out of some, some, some different religions. Um, I'd, I'd assume probably more some of the Western ones than the Eastern ones. But I was curious if you could talk a little bit about repression of, of people's sexuality coming out of religion and, uh, you know, what, what some of the consequences are of that and what some of the things that you and other people are doing. Well, we're, we're seeing the, the consequences. The consequences are young Catholic girls having anal penetration so that they can retain their virginity. That's a huge consequence. And then often being complete. Right, because they, they, they are under the, the impression that they're not having sex because they haven't been vaginally penetrated. So that's a scary thing. And what that does is make them more susceptible to STIs and STDs, particularly HIV. So that's a consequence of sexual repression because we have not celebrated uh, who young people are as sexual beings, that no religion, how hard you try, will never be able to stop puberty. It is going to happen. It is a biological factor. And God created it. So she wants it to happen. She wants it to occur. So, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. I think, I think part of what you see is not just, you know, how you're, you were talking about, like with the, the Catholic schoolgirls, but it's also just the, the complete lack of willingness sometimes on the family members to provide any kind of sexual contraception with the idea that it's going to encourage sex, right? So, Somebody I know who came to Cassie for sex advice a while back and was under some really goofy impressions like that. Well, you know, if the guy doesn't come and you can't catch an STI because she never had any sex education growing up because her parents were, were concerned that would be encouraging promiscuity. Right. Or. You know, you wind up in the conversation with people that I've had a couple times of people like parents who have sexually active teens or even sometimes adults if they're on their insurance policy and the parents still get a say in what happens who are refusing to authorize birth control because again you know they feel like that would be encouraging immoral behavior to do so is that something you run across oh uh, all day every day i mean i know there there are women who have decided that if they're not married they're not going to have sex and so it causes you to have to ask questions like, okay, well, let's, let's wrestle with this. Women outnumber men. Women are the dominant uh, gender in everything. Everything is female before it's anything else. So now if we go back to Adam and Eve and they say that Eve came from Adam's rib, but that couldn't be biologically possible because everything is female before it's anything else. So now we're in trouble already. Okay. So, uh, and, and poor Eve, Eve get blamed over this, this little apple and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just so, it's just so funny when you really like dissect it and take it apart and that all the sins are upon the world because of a good juicy green apple It's like, Oh my. Okay. Um, so you have women who have suspended their sexual inhibitions because they, as I've heard before, they're waiting on Jesus to be e-harmony or matchmaker to send them a man. And they wait. And there are these women who are now bypassing their 30s and their 40s and their 50s, and they're suffering from skin hunger, and, and they haven't been touched. And, and what that does to a person's spirit what that does to teach a person how to connect. So then we have to ask ourselves, how many men would like to be with a woman who can abstain for sex from 30 or 40 years? None. <laughs> I mean, sorry, am I, I'm, as a bisexual woman, I don't want to be with a woman who can sustain sex <laughs> from, from no sex for 30 years. Exactly. It's, it's, so so now, now we have a conflict, right? Because... As soon as the woman says, hey, I'm, I've been abstaining, I've been waiting for you all my life, 
and I'm going to put my life's burden on you with my vulva and you're just going to have to be married to me even though I have no intimate experience really whatsoever and I'm going to tie it to Jesus and I'm going to put Jesus under the pillow so if you're not a good lover and a good husband to me we're going to have problem yeah this is not working is it, is is socially not working is biologically not working um it is it is religious manipulation and 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 yeah is 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 hurting and not to mention everything that when your body though your your when you kiss kissing is saliva it cleans your teeth sex is a cure for mild depression uh, uh men masturbating or having sex minimizes his chance for prostate cancer so god she designed the body to engage for all of these very special reasons and somebody in religious vernacular has instructed you to not abide by how how god created your body biologically it's funny. So our we we're in a, a a more liberal state. We're in Maryland, but we live in one of the more conservative counties here. And our our county is one of the only counties still has abstinence based education, which we may have to do an episode about our our son's abstinence based education travails here at some. Point. He came a couple weeks ago, so he he brings us all the dumb shit he hears in health class, which is pretty much every day because he knows most of it's wrong, anyways. And he came to me and he was like, so my teacher says that the best thing to do is to not have sex until you're married. And then, well, never mind that, that his teacher told him that then you're guaranteed to stay married. That's a whole nother, but that it's a really bad idea to have sex before you get married. What do you think? I was like, I think it's a really bad idea to marry somebody and have no idea if you're sexually compatible. You know what I mean? Like you're, <laughs> especially from a religious point of view, you're expected to stay with that person forever. And now you have no idea if you're important on a really, or compatible on a really important level. So, uh, I would love to deliver some questions that you can, uh, have your son ask the teacher because nine times out of 10, they're never prepared to answer questions. They're only prepared for the lesson plans that they have. And these lesson plans are, are not designed to actually answer the questions. So the, the first question is, uh, where in the Bible specifically does it say that you uh, should only have sex with someone you're married to? And who said it? So because what we what we know and what scientists know and what history books tell us is that uh, this was this ideology was created by St. Augustine. And so St. Augustine also felt like sex was the devil and referred to sex as the devil. And he did not want you to have sex only unless it was in you were married, you were in a missionary position and you were trying to have a child. Those were the only allowances that St. Augustine wanted you to have. So heaven forbid you kiss a nipple to arouse the woman, you go into hell. If you rub her feet, you go into hell. If you have oral sex, you go into hell. Like all of these things, because this one individual uh, was asexual. So now if we, if we ask our, our teacher like, oh, so um, what, what, what does St. Augustine say about sex versus what did Jesus say about sex? This, this, this book is a lot juicier than what we give it credit, credit for. The Bible is a very juicy book and we forget that there is every single type of relationship in the Bible. There are poly relationships. There are men who had to marry their brothers' wives, that their brothers uh, died prematurely. There were LGBTQ relationships that was with Ruth. There were homosexual relationships, heterosexual relationships, single mothers, single fathers. Every type of relationship has existed in the Bible. And yet we only have one centered focus. So going back to this uh you know, idea of, you know, from, from St. Augustine saying like, you know, sex is the devil, this, that, and the other. So what about this whole idea of like premarital sex, like being a horrible thing? 
Great. So I have a secret for everybody. If you don't plan on marrying them, it's not premarital sex. It's just sex. If you don't plan on getting married, is that what you said? Correct. It's just sex. The only way you can have premarital sex is if you're engaged. So have sex. Stop when you're engaged. <laughs> that, right. That, is, that, is, that would be premarital sex. That's before you get married. But if you're just having sex and you don't plan on marrying the person, it's just sex. So I've, I've got to ask now. So is that your point of view or is that like, are you saying like, like, you know, like in the Bible, like when they were talking about premarital sex, like if they weren't considering getting married, it wasn't, uh, it's not what's being referred to. I have to know now. I would say it's a mixture of both. Uh, based on, on the studies that, that I've learned and how, how the Bible has been hyperbole to control people. Uh, to to set forth a religious agenda to to control to undermine women. Remember, women are very marginalized by these particular men in the church. Uh, priests were marginalized. Uh, you know, there was a time where priests could get married, and then they were like, "No, you can't even get married." And as a result of that, so anytime you have sexual repression, you get a result of deviant behavior. So that's, that cajoled priests to start molesting boys. Again, it, it only makes sense if you've actually studied the history of the Bible and not just read the verses. And there are people who are very well versed in the scripture, but they have no context of the history of the Bible. So why, so talking about that and talking about the history of the Bible, when you're talking about how women are, are kind of marginalized, especially I think sexually, um, you know, you've, you've obviously spent some, a decent amount of time studying some of the, the Western religions like uh, Christianity, and you said that you've had some experience with the Eastern religions, and you kind of at this point consider yourself kind of a mix of, I forgot what you said, but in Buddhist and the Omni, other thing. Omni, uh, Ifa, Ifa, yeah, I, I'm... Um, omni-spiritual in uh, Ifa and Buddhism. Yeah. So what, what do you have? I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the differences between how women's sexualities are treated in the Western religions like Christianity and the Eastern religions like Buddhism and, and things like that. Like, because it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but that there's a, a pretty stark difference in how women's sexualities are treated between the Eastern and Western religions. The, the difference is the presence of the feminine in Eastern religions versus the feminine in Western religions and Western culture. There is a huge difference, but um, again, um, the, the Bible has been used as a tool to manipulate and create control. So the Greco-Roman Christianity was denigration of the flesh. It was suspicious of pleasure in women's sexuality, and it was there to enforce patriarchal power, and it was enforced by, by violence. So we have to think about at that time who had access to the Bible. They were the educated men, the privileged men. They were white, uh, very high status, and they controlled everything. So we have to think about this in a hierarchy at, at that time. Also, uh, basically all sexual intercourse, all, they only allowed you to have children, but all sexual intercourse was negatively looked upon. Uh, so, and, and that's, that's dangerous in, in the spirit and, and how our bodies are, are developed and made up biologically, knowing that we have pleasure zones in our body and you have uh, a religion that is suggesting that we void what nature and God had intended and created naturally. So why would God create these things if, you know, you weren't allowed to titillate your clitoris. That's just rude. <laughs> <laughs> that is a strange point of view. I've got to say, I feel most spiritual usually when I'm playing with my genitals. So 
I, you know, I feel like it's always such a counterproductive thing to tell people that uh, sex is against religion because I feel like, and this isn't me being snarky, I'm being serious, that I am most spiritual when I am experiencing orgasms and connecting with my partners. Like that is where I feel most spiritual. And it just seems very, very counterproductive to tell people to move so far away from that. You know, I always say God is sex and sex and faith are lovers. And there are scriptures that point out um, in Genesis 1, 6, uh, there's also um, verses 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 10. It says, when the woman refuses to listen to assaults, to any contrary explanations about who she is, where the women are celebrating their power and their sensuality. You know, there are a lot of mistranslations uh, around, like your love is better than wine in Genesis 1, 2. Uh, I will give you my love, uh, chapter 7, 12. Um, so there's so, so many verses that are often mistranslated because they're taken out of historical context. And, and that's a challenge, particularly when you have uh, preachers and leaders of the church who are appointed because the church or the congregation felt like, oh, they speak really well and they know how to garner attention from the flock, but they they did not go to uh, go through a theology program. They did not study the history of the Bible. And then they're just preaching from oral tradition. And so what we see is that oral tradition continues to be passed along, but the history and the context in which these words were created have never been passed along. So I have a real quick question, and then I'm gonna, it's, it's kind of a leading question. From all the things that you've studied and everything, do you feel you need to have faith or religion to have morals? Because this seems to be a big topic that comes up quite often is, can you have morals and be a good person? Or you can't if you don't. So it's kind of, one of those things. So as, as far as your experience, do you think that having faith or having religion somehow allows you to have morals, but not having those things makes you not able to have them? Well, one, we have to define what morals are. And so mores are, are your personal values and those values would change as you experience life. Morals are, are always changing and evolving. And no, it does not require that you have faith in any particular uh, religious infrastructure to to have positive morals. Now, there are people with fucked up morals. There are people with good morals. There are people with kind morals. So um, the, the assumption that all morals are good morals is bullshit too. And so uh, if, if you have positive morals, no, it, it does not require that they be faith-based in, in, in any rate. Uh, and what I always find funny, particularly, and I know this is a very controversial thing, but I think that uh, it particularly like black women, I think a lot of black women are, are single because they're too fucking religious. Again, I know that's very controversial, but the, the, the black church is in, in many churches, not all, but many churches, probably the ratio of women to men is 80, uh, 20. So it's like 80% women, 20% men, and that 20% lead the church. But those 20% men can't balance out the gender disparities in that church. Why? Because the other 80% of men don't give a fuck about what they're saying in that church. But these women are praying for a man who has a certain uh, social status that, you know, they're, they're praying for the man who does well financially and they want him to be God fearing. I'm going to tell you, most men are not interested in fearing anything. So now you just, you've checked off another box that you, you oftentimes cannot complete. And you keep going into a space that is not adjacent to what you're asking for. It's, it's funny because uh, that, that whole, the whole topic of, of morals versus I didn't know you were going to ask that. That whole topic of morals versus religion, like I've been, th th that's a whole, whole separate debate. 
in and of itself. Sam Harris talks a lot about that. If anybody, I think there's, I think he wrote a whole book about that called The Moral Landscape that I have not read, but I've heard him read a lot of. Well, there was a, a situation that I personally had where I was at a Walmart and there was a gentleman who needed help, who was in a wheelchair and a bunch of people passed him by and I came by and helped him out. And afterwards he was like, you know, you must have Jesus. And I kind of let it go at first, but then he kept going and was like, you must be a faith woman, this, that, and the other. And I was like, actually, I'm not. Actually, I'm a bisexual chick who is an atheist. And he was like in awe that this person could have good morals. And he asked, he was like, so how do you base your morals? I was like, I do what I think is good. Like, that's what I do. I do what I think is good. You didn't need baby Jesus to be polite. Nope. And, um, <laughs> and you know, I, I think people cling to that because it's a branding, right? So Christianity has become this type of branding. So when sometimes you'll hear people introduce themselves and they say, Hi, my name is Shaquan and I'm a Christian and I don't have any kids. And, and it's like, well, okay, wait a minute. Like you just use religion to brand yourself to suggest that that makes you better than someone else. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I've, I've heard, like I said, I've, I've actually been doing so, so uh, religion and atheism and the existence of a God have been my whole, I go on kicks. It's been my whole kick for the last several months now. And uh, one, one of the arguments I think that falls really well under this whole religion versus morals thing is nobody actually makes their moral decisions based on the Bible. Like we would, uh, that, that doesn't really, like people pick and choose. Like we'd still be stoning people if people really base their moral decisions on the Bible. Exactly. Like they go through the Bible, they pick out what they think is moral and they do that. But there's some other principle guiding them in that decision. And it's definitely not the Bible or take whatever holy scripture here that you're, you know, you're talking about. I, I wanted to talk to you a minute about your, uh, the organization that you are a part of. Uh, the Incarnation Institute of Sex and Faith. I wanted to talk about that for a few minutes. Could you could you tell me a little bit about uh, you know what that is and uh, you know who's a part of it, what you guys are doing, that kind of thing? Yeah. So uh, the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith is spearheaded by Reverend Beverly Dale. So she also is um, has a background in human sexuality and is a certified theologian and. You know, she herself, as a woman, found herself wrestling with uh, the the modern ideals of Christianity and how it impacts women in particular. And she wanted to give a voice to women in the Christian faith and an understanding, a grounding uh, to to women and those abroad who, you know, really felt that Christianity was was near and dear to their heart and, and the spirit that they were brought up in, but wrestled with who they were as women and the, the entity of, of, of femininity and, and its branch. And so she created this organization. And so, and she works with other sexologists and sex clinicians and other theologians to, help people reimagine the Bible in a sex positive way. And, and why, as I've had, we've had events, it's called being a slut is not a sin. And, uh, you know, we, we celebrate these women who have these beautiful, intimate sex lives and are still spiritual beings and, and, and sexual beings, uh, because, God really has value for it. And, and, you know, even a prostitute is, is, or, or a sex worker is doing the work and is doing the work actually of God. And, and that may sound strange to people, but when we think about those who suffer from sexual dysfunction, when we think about those who, who maybe can't connect with someone because they may have been molested as a child, there, there are so many variables to, 
sexuality and why we choose the partners that we choose or why we don't. And so having these conversations and reimagining the Bible and the verses in a way that honors yourself and that still honors God is what we set out to do. And yeah, it's it's a pressing topic. People feel, you know, they wrestle with it a lot. You know, you, you know, we've created this concept of heaven and hell. And I mean, if people really believed in heaven and hell, they wouldn't do half the shit that they do. But it's still something just on the on the side of the mind, you know. Um, we we all have a conscience, and we all want to be better people. Um, and you can be a better person. And matter of fact, I think you'll be a better person the more sex and intimacy you have. Something that I'm curious about is it, it sounds to me like you've you know you've kind of started your own journey out. You know, growing up in the Baptist church, and you saw that, you know, things that were in that religion didn't really fit in with your life and your sexuality. And, you know, you migrated to more of the Eastern religions and, you know, you, you and, and, uh, you know, the reverend you're working with in the organization are spending a lot of time trying to address, you know, some of the, the, uh, repression and issues that come out of how, how sex is pictured in religions, especially the Western religion. But, so like I said, I've, I've been listening to, to a, lot of, a lot of Sam Harris lately. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but I've, I've been listening. So like I said, I get on sticks. So my, my sticks for the last couple of months have been like hours of religious debates every day. As I've been driving, I have like a two-hour commute. But one thing that Sam Harris likes to say, who's one of my favorite people to listen to right now, is that the thing about fundamentalists is they cause a lot of problems, but at least they're honest, right? So they they may take a view that's really toxic on a lot of things, but at least they're honest about what, you know, what their beliefs actually are, what the scriptures actually say and that kind of thing. And I'm just curious because the fact of the matter is some, I mean, and some of the things, some of the, the depictions of things in the Bible and, and some of the views on sex have definitely been built up, you know, from Augustine and, and, and kind of the uh, men who were running religion and building it and things like that. But there's plenty of stuff as well that is, scripturally based and I just and maybe not so much from your end um, because you're you know you, you've changed your religious viewpoints a little bit but for somebody like uh, a couple of these reverends you're talking about who are doing this stuff I, I'm really curious as to why and maybe you can answer this maybe you can't but as to why they're spending so much time how you talked about reimagining the scriptures instead of just acknowledging that there's serious problems with some of the things that are in there and maybe finding a religion that's more suitable to them as a person. And tell me if that didn't make sense and I went on too long. No, it, it totally makes sense. So uh, theoretically, as is what I've always understood, and I, I believe this to be true, because people are indoctrinated into faith. And whatever you believe, um, that indoctrination happens over uh, years and years and years. And in, in the black church, it is historically generational, right? So, um, the fact that this, this faith was impressed upon us, uh, upon enslavement and that black people are still holding on to something that co-opted them being enslaved. So that says a lot right there, right? That's, (laughs) that is the ultimate indoctrination. So to, to, to turn that around, uh, 400 years of indoctrination, the likelihood of that happen is minimal, right? <laughs> Usually, uh, if people do not break away from faith-based ideologies by approximately the age of 15, they are dedicated to it for life. That's right around kind of like the 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 cutoff point where if you're not wrestling with it by around that age so you can wrestle with it you know for a few few more years to come but if you haven't begun to wrestle with it uh right around that time or before that time you have like a a 90 percent likelihood of staying indoctrinated in those ideologies and yeah and i get that and and definitely you know if if Somebody is indoctrinated, they're not going to change their mind. You know, it's definitely better to do something for them than nothing and, and try and create a, you know, an environment where they can be more themselves and be more sexually free. 
Because I, I don't want to stop anyone from believing. I do want to, them to expand on what it is they're believing. And the problem is people are just taking it as, at face value and they haven't thought to question, to investigate, to explore. And that's, you know, why there's the friction, because that will require them to do work. And it's just a lot easier to just sit in the pew and listen and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, that's good. I mean, they, they got enough on their plate. If you got to go to work Monday through Friday, you putting in 50, 60 hours, sometimes the last thing you want to do is start looking up Hebrew context of the Bible. Like, I just... <laughs> They really may not go there. It's just easier to just sit there and wear a cute dress and take it. I sorry, the mental image just shifted in my brain at that point, but <laughs> uh, I'm pulling myself back on track here. We can say that literally or figuratively, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, getting my brain back out of the gutter where it lives most of the time. Um, yeah, just and, and like I said, I totally get that from where you're at. You know, especially with where you're at. That's why I asked you at the beginning, kind of where you're at in your point religiously. But like, and I totally get that. But what, what just what kind of, what I'd be really curious about is somebody like, like if you have a reverend working with your organization, I don't know the, the reverend that you had said who uh, uh, helped run the, the organization you're a part of. Uh, Beverly Dale. Yeah, I, I'd be really curious. And I don't know if you ever had this kind of conversation with her. But like, you know, I'm, I'm just really curious, like if you really, if you feel because, you know, you moved on to your religion a little bit, but if she's, I take it when you say reverend that she's kind of Christian denomination, like scripture, that kind of. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She's the ultimate sexy Christian. And that's what's so, that's what's so strange to me is I'm just curious how you can look at how you, I'm curious as to how you can square those two things, like how you can look at, okay, like there's really problems with the way that scripture approaches some of these things to the point where I need to take action to try and, and mitigate some of that stuff. But at the same time, not to question where you're at religiously. I don't know. It's, I find it kind of, I would expect more of a kind of progression that you took where you look at it and you're like, yeah, there's definitely some problems with this stuff and how it's, you know, how it, intersects with my life. Maybe I need to examine some other religions. And I understand what you're saying about people getting set. It just, you know what I mean? It just kind of blows my mind a little bit. Yeah, I do. do. How can you stay in something that you know, or that you've you've been taught um, that has some, uh, some, some deep rooted challenges in it? You know, there there are politicians and there are people who complain about politicians and there, there are people who become those politicians because they're like, I don't like this politician. I think that Reverend Beverly is one of those polit- religious or spiritual politicians that said, I don't like these politicians because they're not doing the people good. And sometimes you have to be in it in order to be the change within. I think that she is an individual who wants to be the change within. I have chosen to to coexist as the change beyond. And so I've learned not to, you know, I'm not here to to uh, make someone change faith. I'm here to help them expand and reconcile on the faith that they already have. So I think at this point, we're going to start wrapping into our speed round, right? Okay. Um, and, and yeah, it's like 10 questions and the idea is to be through them in 60 sec. Well, it's obviously what this is going to be, but the idea is to be through them in 60 seconds. So first thing that comes to your mind is the correct answer. There is no wrong answer. At least we haven't heard one yet. All right. So the first question is, what is something you're not very good at? Oh my. Um, biting my tongue. <laughs> me too. The next question is, tell me something that is true that almost nobody agrees with you on. That religiosity messes up a lot of relationships. What's the best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Love like you deserve it. What are three things you couldn't live without? Sex, son, and friendship. What turns you on? Very intelligent men. I'm a sapiosexual. (laughs) The, The brainier he is, the hornier I am. 
So what's a book you would recommend for our listeners? A book that I would recommend is Thomas More's uh, The Soul of Sex. What is your biggest fear? Dying without love. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? I've traveled to uh, at least five different countries by myself. That is pretty adventurous. Who is your movie star crush? Uh, 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 Adam Sandler. What's something you're working on right now that you want our listeners to know about? I'm working on my second book right now. It's called The Five-Year Marriage, and it's about why um, I don't believe in forever and marriage should be in increments. And where can our listeners find you? You can go to my website. It will be up February the 14th at libidotalk.com. You can find me on Instagram at libidotalk.com or Facebook at Frenchies Talking. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about sex and religion. It's a really interesting topic. I love being here. Thank you for asking those great questions. All right. So you can check out the show notes for this episode at atouchofflavor.com forward slash zero two five. We got everything you need in there. We got timestamps for different parts of the episodes. We got links. We have all the resources that Frenchie mentioned. You can find them all there. We're going to be doing another Q&A episode soon where we answer your questions. So if you want us to answer your questions, go ahead and go to atouchofflavor.com forward slash ask. You can submit your questions on the form or you can call us at 833-ASK-TOF1 and leave us a voicemail. And if we select your question, we'll actually play your message on the air and answer it. So go ahead, atouchofflavor.com forward slash ask. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. <laughs> Why? She's got the right idea. Why aren't we drinking? Right. We should do podcasts and sangria. <laughs> oh. Like this is uh, <laughs> poor planning. Isn't, isn't, isn't that a requirement for you? I actually usually do podcasting and coffee. I usually do it the opposite. Although I'm not going to do coffee at this time of night. Uh, It could be. I guess there's no reason it couldn't be Irish coffee. Huh. You've given me a lot to think about. Yeah. Then you can have the best of both worlds. You've given me a lot to think about. See, I get way too sleepy when I drink. Whenever I drink, I get sleepy. So I don't know how good that would be for the podcast. I'd be like, yeah, that's good. Oh, then your your drinks aren't um uh they aren't fun enough like they aren't fancy enough you have to add some uh red bull yeah yeah you know you you just haven't found just the right a little g and t you know uh with a little cucumber or <laughs> Yag- Yager works we'll get there we'll get you there we'll get you there <laughs>